Hello, hello, hello. Welcome back to the Reclaimed Podcast. I'm your host, Whitney Lease. Just a black girl out here trying to help everybody do better, including and especially herself. Hey, y'all. How y'all doing? Hope everybody's doing well. Welcome back to this batch of foolishness. Um, <laughs> so happy that you guys are tuned in. Thank you guys so much for all your likes, for all your shares, for all your support. Um... This is episode 34, so it's like my golden episode. I'm 34, this is episode 34, and we're going to have some fun. But before we do, let's get into the church announcements. Let the people of the reclaim say amen. Glad to be here, say amen again. And say amen one more time if you really like the show. We're glad that y'all here today, and these will be your church announcements. Hey y'all, hey y'all, hey. Time to dive into the foolishness. Um, I'm only going to talk about this particular story very briefly, mostly because it's oversaturated and why. Um, y'all gonna leave Aisha Curry alone, okay? You're gonna stop it with the memes. You're gonna stop it with the think pieces and the thought posts on Facebook. Um, because you don't live her life, okay? I want you to back down from Aisha Curry. For those who have no idea what I'm talking about, Aisha Curry is a chef, a mom, and wife of Steph Curry, the current carrier of the Golden State Warriors. Uh, that's a basketball team for those of you who are like me and don't know the sports. Because um, I couldn't find where Golden State was. I thought Golden State was like somebody's school. That's none of your business. <laughs> don't you dare judge me. Suspend your judgment. Back to Aisha Curry. Um, Aisha Curry, as reported by Blavity, um, shout out to Blavity, was one of the wives of, well, is one of the wives, don't say was, Jesus, no, stay married, um, is one of the wives uh, in the Curry family, um, and they were welcomed on to the Red Table Talk, so it was Aisha Curry, I believe her sister, her sister-in-law, and her mother-in-law, uh, her mother-in-law. Right. So it was a family thing. It wasn't just her. This wasn't like a Jordan Woods thing where she's just like divulging all these deep, dark secrets. No, it was a family thing. And they were talking about being wives of ball players, which is a really interesting conversation to have. But unfortunately, it has disintegrated and devolved into the memes and things that you're seeing online. During the discussion, she mentioned that she noticed that she doesn't receive uh, male t- she hasn't received any male attention lately and she's wondering if there's something wrong with her she mentioned that she doesn't want like you know people just throwing penises in her face um or anything like that but you know it would be nice to know that someone is at least you know looking and she's doing this in comparison with her husband Steph right so here's the thing that drives me crazy she wasn't saying that she wants y'all all up in her dms all up in her, uh, I don't even know how one would reach a person who is a celebrity outside of DMs, but DMs. She doesn't want you all up in there, right? She told her truth. She told her truth. Um, She was willing to be transparent. She was willing to just speak out. She was willing to just let it all hang out there, you know, because the groupies are real. 
you see the groupies as a as a sports wife. I don't know anything about this. Um, I don't know anything about groupie life, but I know that I feel a little bit of a ways and you might maybe one day I'll let you guys hear a story about how I handled a particular disrespectful woman or several of them. Um, when I was out with my dear one, my, my Sigio as a Jade next D call it, shout out to Jade next D, um, out with my Sigio and how I potentially sort of lost it the first time, first two times. But yeah, that's for another show. That's for another day. Aisha Curry, like she's watching her husband, you know, she sees him playing ball. They have three children together. She's a successful chef, things like that. Um, but also like people think that there's this, this element of fulfillment that happens when you're a mom and wife and really, and truly a woman has an identity outside of those things. I know it's a shocker, you know, considering that our culture breeds women into wanting to have wanting to be married and have children and use that as like the sonic ring of approval. Like you've made it, you've had, you have success. You you married a man, you had his babies. That's the mark of success. And it's really, really not. And so she just, she just said, you know, in her vulnerability, she was saying in her transparency, like, yo, I see all these women throwing themselves a step every so often. I, I, I would like to know that I'm attractive. I like to know that I'm, pretty now I've seen some pretty interesting things about people saying you know don't put you know your own self-worth and self-value in the opinions of others and you know that's a valid conversation to have but I think another valid conversation to have is are women allowed to tell the truth you know like are women allowed to say what Aisha Curry says and Aisha Curry has a loving husband who will listen to her and will take the time and discuss things with her. And I'm pretty sure that this is not, you know, I'm, sh- I'm pretty sure this is not anything new. I don't think she would have went out here just to embarrass him in front of his sister and his mother, you know, their family. They've been family. God, like the, the Currys have been married forever. So they've been family forever. I don't think she went on here to just be disrespectful you know, especially not in front of these women, but at the same time, like she told, she told her experience, like, what's the big deal? What's up with all the memes? What's up with all the the crying men that are on, on the socials? Like everybody chill out. Like it's, this is really like not, not really, not really valid. It's, I just feel like it's completely unvalid. Um, you know, she's a successful, secure and thriving woman. Um, The negative pushback is just, you know, she could turn it off. All she has to do is log off. That's it. You know, what I worry about are the women who don't feel as confident, you know, or who feel invisible. You know, they struggle, you know, with security and, you know, feelings of validation and things like that. You know, they all literally through this Aisha Curry thing just received the message that sharing their truth. And being authentic is unwar is unwarranted and worthy of shame, and that's not the message that we should be sending to each other. We should be able to tell each other the truth. Like it's okay to want to be sexy. It's okay to you know 
get a little self-esteem boost every now and then. I'm not saying you run to people all the time for those things, but you know, people want to know that they're attractive. Nobody wants to sit up here like, well, do I look like the underside of an old couch or I don't know. I don't know. Anyway, that's all I'm going to say about that. I've already spoken too much. Moving on to the story I actually really want to talk about in the church announcements. The Wall Street Journal. What on earth are y'all thinking over there? All right. So newspapers are going the way of dinosaurs and racism. And you are sitting here letting the latter get into your paper. Um, Shout out to Michael Harriet, Harriet at the root. Um, for his reporting on this particular story, uh, cause it's, it, y'all get on over there and read it. It's really, really funny. But the synopsis <clears throat> on the 2nd of May, uh, this particular May, not May, like, you know, 1960, 1952, 1945, May of the year of our Lord, 2019. The Wall Street Journal published a story called The Danger of Debating Reparations. It's written by writer Lance Morrow, who is actually a senior fellow at the Ethics and Public Policy Center. Um, Apparently, it's an institute dedicated to, quote unquote, applying Judeo-Christian moral traditions to critical issues of public policy. (sighs) Morrow writes a lot of things, but several things jumped out at me in particular after reading this particular story. Um, I wish I could have looked at the story without actually giving the Wall Street Journal a click or a read, but to be informed. Um, Morrow describes Ta-Nehisi Coates, Coates, Ta-Nehisi Coates, a wonderful author, brilliant mind, um, as plums uh that he plums the ancient rages um that he says if if you read the things that uh Coates writes he said Coates may be too eloquent for his own good I'm like wait what you you just said a a black man is too smart and too eloquent for his own good and you know that in the spirit of black people when you hear you're too smart for your own good you can only hear it like, <laughs> please forgive me if you actually speak this way. Um, I'm not making fun of you. I'm making fun of bigots. But if you, you hear it in this tone of, well, you might be too smart for your own damn good. It word Like oh, you just start hearing things and just like, wait, what? Like, what are we talking about? Like, what are we talking about? Um, so Maro, after he says his whole spiel about Ta-Nehisi Coates um he gets to the real point the real point of his entire piece the truth of why he even sat down to write it he said that we shouldn't discuss reparations because not only would it make white people too uncomfortable it might quote-unquote reconstitute America's old racial conflict along new 20 21st century lines It's not actual reparations, mind you. It's just the simple discussion of the issue itself would apparently throw open the trap door 
throw open the trap door out of which all manner of bigotries and bitterness, all the black bats of American history would fly. Really pretty to say that if we bring up reparations, it'll make, it'll make white people uncomfortable. It'll make white people, you know, unleash their racism. And first of all, every white person isn't racist. Every white person is not racist. Every white person is not racist. It's just not true. But there are some that are. There are some that are, right? And what, what's your name? Lance Morrow is saying about, you know, just the mere discussion of giving black people who literally built this country. We built this city and this country, this nation, these states. We built this city, not on rock and roll, but we built that too. We built this, we built everything that you see. Like all the historical monuments, everything that you see, we built it, right? We built this nation. The only reason why your quote unquote America is the, the greatest nation ever and we have this amazing economy and blah, 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 blah is because you had hundreds of years of free labor, on the backs of human beings that were treated like cows and goats and sheep, not dogs, because white people love dogs, but cattle. And that is so frustrating because what Morrow is suggesting is we can't even bring up the conversation because it's gonna make white people uncomfortable. Well, I'm sorry, my people have been really uncomfortable for mm, centuries. So we're gonna talk about it. We need to talk about it. And the truth that white people have been avoiding saying for years is that they don't want to talk about racism because, like I said, according to Lance Morrow, the one thing we can do to be sure is to be sure that we even like really have this conversation is that if we're open and honest and transparent, white people will start seeing themselves as all the rest of us do. And I'm not saying all white people. I'm saying that the system of white supremacy has enabled white people to thrive and live these wonderful lives while people of color, particularly black people, live in a semi, almost an almost apartheid state. Like, just look at the wealth gaps across this country. And I'm not saying that there aren't poor white people. I'm not saying that either. But... Your skin color still invites you into rooms that mine will shut doors in my face. And Lance Morrow is not even, he's not even up to even having the dialogue. He's not even up to having the discussion simply because it's going to make people uncomfortable. Simply because as people talk, they're going to realize, oh my God, I have embedded racism. I have embedded bigotries. I had an employer once tell me to my brown face that stereotypes, stereotypes are funny because they're true. Stereotypes are funny because they're true to me. And I'm like, my dude, white guy, upper, no, not even upper middle class. He's, 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 he was wealthy. He was born wealthy. He lived wealthy. Uh, He's wealthy now. And so, you know, probably didn't have much exposure to the blacks and the browns 
and the various shades and colors outside of like, you know, people who came in his house to like help raise him or clean his house. One of those people, you get what I'm saying? And I'm not hating on wealth. I'm not hating on affluence because listen, we all want to be affluent. We all want to create a future that our children do not have to worry about the same things that we did. Um, that, you know, where our next meal comes from and are these bills going to get paid and how are we going to afford college or daycare or rent? All those things just dissipate because, you know, money is a tool and when you have enough of it, it gives you options. And a lot of poor people don't have those options. Um, I say all that to say, it's just, it's very, very interesting that James your name is not James. Your name is Lance. I don't know why I want to call him James Morrow. Somebody help me out why I want to call him James Morrow. But his name is definitely Lance Morrow. And his opinion is basically terrible. Um, he, he says, better to keep the monsters old and new locked in the basement and to let the conversation upstairs in the living room be as genteel as possible, even hypocritical in matters of race hate. Candor is overrated. Hypocrisy may be the moral way to go. Until as time passes, people become more civilized. Holy nut butters. That was like so racist. (laughs) He said, let's just be hypocrites. Let's just be hypocrites and pretend that everything's okay. Don't, as in the words of the Wizard of Oz, don't look at the man behind the curtain. Like, let's just keep, let's just keep this going. Let's just keep this facade going. Um... And if we talk about reparations, it's going to let all of our dirty laundry out. And here I am and the rest of us um, who believe in truth and honesty and and transparency and, you know, the crows coming home to roost, yanking this basement door open, like let the monsters up. We weren't the ones who created these monsters. We were the ones who inherited the 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 trauma. We were the ones who inherited the, the pain. We're the ones who inherited the sheer lack and disrespect. So why aren't we, why aren't we willing to talk about this? Because you're uncomfortable. Terrible. Just terrible. Um, back to Michael Harriet, who wrote this piece for The Root. He sums it up per- perfectly by saying, <clears throat> I, oh, Michael Harriet also called him. Um, no, he didn't call him James. Somebody tell me why I want to call him James Morrow, because I have no idea why. But Michael Harriet calls him the right name, Lance, Lance Morrow. Lance Morrow, in his patronizing, bigoted benevolence, explains that this gutter, this quote unquote gutter conversation about reparations is too dignified for the public debate. And when he says that, quote, people are not civilized enough to have it, we know to whom he is referring. That's it for the church announcements, because I feel like I want to write something about this particular piece on my own later. Y'all let me know if y'all want to have a further conversation about that. And please, someone, please help me out. Tell me why I'm trying to say James Morrow. Um, Let's get to some fun in the mess in the message. Hey, y'all, welcome to the mess and the message. So the last few weeks we've been talking about pretty heavy hefty weighted weighty things and I decided that it's time for some frivolity and fun and so we're going to talk about Met Gala which was both frivolous and fun 
so this year's Met Gala was based on the theme Camp, Notes on Fashion, inspired by Susan Sontag's 1964 essay, um, Notes on Camp. Sontag once described camp as love of the unnatural, of artifice and exaggeration, style at the expense of con of content. In other words, going off, doing the absolute most, big statement looks, flashy pieces, maximalist flair, doing the ha 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 most. But what was absent from Sontag's piece was any real mention of a culture that naturally just does the most. Black people, <laughs> have, have you ever seen, first of all, if you don't believe that we do the most, go to a cookout and watch us play spades or Uno, even though Uno just came out with all these rules saying like, no, you can't stack draw twos and draw fours. I'm sorry, Uno, we're still going to play it that way. We're still going to stack them. We're still going to be yelling at each other's face and breaking up happy homes over your card game. You're just going to have to deal with that. Um, so, yeah, it, it was actually absent from her discussion, despite the fact that, you know, we really do the most. I'm like, look at our, look at our hair, for example. I'm not talking about, like, afros and things like that. Like, think about how we braid our hair, that we can, like, construct different patterns and different geometric shapes and all kinds of cool and interesting looks and then we put beads on them or then then we put you know what we used to call as little girls ballies the little ball barrettes that you'd wrap around your hair um, with big ponytails and things like that the most the absolute most clearly very campy we didn't think it was campy we felt like it was stylish uh, we go to school and just were just talk about a conf- uh, talk about a self esteem boost um, when you first got your hair freshly plaited and fresh joins. Talk about it. Um, so it's interesting because designer Aurora James, um, she actually had a lot to say on Susan Sontag's essay. She says, "I think the true, I think the true queen of camp." might actually be mother nature. Um, she said, actually said this on, on her Instagram and something tells me that she was black. When I truly think about it, the campiest thing I've ever seen in my life, I have seen during my time in Africa. Um, the black narrative seems to be missing from her notes. Speaking of, um, that was Aurora James speaking of Sonia, not Sonia, Susan Sontag's, um, camp notes. And then I think about it too, like, think about nature, like, think about how each and every single snowflake is different. Think about uh, thunderstorms and the patterns of lightning. Think about orchids and how orchids are so campy. They do the absolute most, Um, but it's beautiful and it's, it's, stunning and it grabs your attention and it holds you and that is what camp is and I just I just I love that Aurora James actually spoke up about that and so yeah we're gonna talk about all of the wonderful amazing cool blackness that happened at this here Met Gala now I you're gonna have to go with me for a second 
the Wiz, y'all. This Met Gala reminded me of if the Wiz happened in 2019. So for those of you who are unfamiliar with the Wiz, the Wiz is a mu. Well, yes, it is. It is a musical that was was turned into a film, um, which is the black soulful adaptation of the Wizard of Oz, right? The film starred Diana Ross and Nipsey Russell and Michael Jackson and I'm forgetting a ton of other people. Y'all forgive me. I know. I feel like my, my black card is getting ready to be taken away from me. Um, God, I'm just forgetting a ton of people. There were so many amazing actors in this film at every turn you could see a just a slew of actors um that that are just legends just living or since moved on transitioned on legends in our community um and we love the Wiz we sing I remember my first year of college we must have watched the Wiz once a week I think I got so sick of the Wiz after all that, I couldn't even watch it. Now I low-key am upset that I gave that DVD away because I kind of want to watch it now. Anywho, long and the short, this Met Gala was the whiz. It was very much the whiz, and I'll tell you why. Um, shout out to Sierra, and I realized that I was not the only one who thought this. Uh, that I've seen and heard several different people say this, but Sierra, when she emerged in that green, long, beautiful, ornate gown with that massive, massive fro wig, just, it was just the, the most, the absolute most, this fro wig, um, I started singing the song, from the Emerald City, where I've got to be seen green, <laughs> wouldn't be caught dead red. <laughs> I was like, oh, wow, did you look like, and I felt like she was just getting ready to start it. And then, so then here comes Cardi B in this massive red gown. And then I thought about how the tr it transitioned from the green to the red. <laughs> when they when they start singing you've got to be dead red you have to have flash and flair <laughs> you have to say the flair like that flair see look campy doing the most you have to see that scene where everything turns red like all these lights they have all these lights around the emerald city the black emerald city and all the lights change as people's as the uh the wizard of oz announces his his new taste the the colors that he likes and everyone changes their clothes and everyone changes their outfits and it happens really quickly so it goes from emerald green to this red and I saw when I saw Cardi I thought about that I thought about you know just the way she was dressed and how she just looked like a giant bedspread woven together with her million dollar sparkly nipples just hanging out of that top bustier just oh just oh so campy I amazing just just amazing and she was perfectly covered up and still looked so sexy like head to toe covered up hair everything covered up all you really saw was her face and the the the, 
the illusion of those nipples, which were actually like jewels. I just, oh, I lived. <clears throat> and then the next part of that exact same scene goes into the Wiz announcing that the new color is gold. And I, who, who slayed me and then brought me back to life with this gold look, but none other than Billy Porter, Billy Porter, Billy Porter. I, I was so unprepared and then so expected. Like, why wouldn't Billy Porter have come out in full regalia, uh, like full Egyptian regalia, um, carried on this black cushion carrying thing by six men wearing gold and, and no shirts and things like that. And then he, I, I believe Billy Porter said that he was actually inspired by the entrance scene from the movie Cleopatra. But I saw him and I thought, oh my gosh, it's the scene from The Wiz where they all start talking about the gold. Like, um, you know, they start talking about the gold, um, the yellow brick road and all that stuff like that. And so, yes, that was just, it, it was, it was so much The Wiz for me, you guys. Dapper Dan would have been The Wiz himself. I mean, ha- like, think about it. Half of the looks that are on the the best dressed lists are that that all the girls are talking about in the blogs Dapper Dan did uh Dapper Dan and his his collaboration with Gucci I'm like yo first of all well deserved first of all it's about damn time um because yeah Dapper Dan deserves his things give him his flowers while he is still here I'm so glad that he is finally getting the credit that is way overdue him um but yeah half of the the best dress list was people that he dressed himself including 21 savage uh, 21 savage omari hardwick ashley graham yara shahidi and a slew of other folks uh beth ann hardison uh legend legend in the fashion world and in the culture um showing up with that beautiful uh head wrap that was green and red and that black coat oh so beautiful it was just it was a lot and then here comes bevy smith literally looking like glinda the hood witch and i said hood not good um (laughs) and she made it a point to wear all black everything all black designers to this event um the entire look was done by black artists her nails was actually her nails were actually done by a latinx person um and yeah, she just, she had this beautiful cape that was fitted by Dapper Dan, um, that went along with this really ornate look and this crown that was in the back of her hair. Oh God. It, yeah, the Wiz, if the Wiz took place right now, this would be it. Lupita Nyong'o showed up with all those gold picks and this oblong fro and this rainbow pastel dress looking like she was just living in the Emerald City, um, 2019. I'm just, oh my gosh. And so, but that, but what I love about looks like Lupita, she didn't make that up. This was actually inspired by other artists. And what I love about our culture is that we tell people who we were inspired by. I love that. That makes me so excited. It was actually, her look was inspired by self-portraits from Lauren Lauren Kelly. 
Um, yeah, Lauren Kelly. Yeah, because there was a photograph. It was a self-photograph uh, called Pickin'. And it's literally a black woman looking down with her entire head covered in these light-colored wood fist picks. And it was, it's compelling. It's really cool. It's really, really neat. And so to see, you know, Lupita shout out uh, Kelly's work is, a, it's amazing. Like, I, just, I love, I love us. I love how we shout each other out. I love how we keep, we let people know that, you know, we didn't, we didn't come up with this, that we actually, you know, we were inspired and it's okay to be inspired by people. It's perfectly fine to be inspired by people. In fact, you should be inspired by people. You should tell people who you're inspired by. Um, so they too can learn and grow. Uh, who else? Who else? Who else? Who else? Who else? Honorable mentions for me, Zoe Kravitz with those straight back cornrows that, and her, and the earrings and the, oh my gosh, just so, 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 so beautiful. Tracy Ellis Ross, who interestingly enough, had her straight back, uh, cornrows. And then she wore a frame. Uh, she wore a frame that's actually paying tribute to Lorraine O'Grady's art is performance, which was a radical work that was avant-garde. It actually happened in Harlem in 1983 during the African-American day parade, where she literally took photographs of people and held them up in frames, like actual picture frames to to say that art is life and what's happening now is art and that black people are art and that we make art and that we can be part of art and so many other wonderful different things um again a wonderful tribute a beautiful shout out um Denai Guerrera who all showed up with this top hat and this cane and this dress pants situation um her cornrows were so small and so intricate that her her top hat didn't actually like move because that's how tiny her braids actually were they could hold her hat on top of her head um and then she had that that those beaded bangs uh maze balls an unexpected arrival to the Met Gala but that I firmly appreciate Colin Kaepernick and his love Nessa they showed up and he had a fresh and when I say fresh I mean set of cornrows on this red carpet um proving that cornrows are quite formal you know last year not last year a few years ago we proved that the afro was professional this year we're proving that the cornrows can be formal i mean think about it it takes us a long time to get those done um they're elegant they're sophisticated and they just look damn good on us. And they were both wearing Black-owned brand Pierre Moss, who I will talk about right now, actually. Um, so all of those looks were really fantastic. You know, the ones that remind me of The Wiz, the honorable mentions. Uh, I really don't have any, I really don't have too many complaints. Um, but then again, just to be honest, I didn't see every single look. Just to be honest, I didn't see every single look, uh, but the looks I saw, I liked, I loved, I like was slain and brought back to life. Shout out to Billy Porter. <clears throat> the next looks were my absolute most favorite. Um, so we were speaking of Pierre Moss 
and Pierre Moss's designer himself uh, actually came to the to the Met Gala. His name is Kirby Jean Raymond, um, and he actually helped dress Lena Waithe, and their suits were he designed them as zoot suits. Uh, from the 30s and the 40s and they would have been worn with the really big wide brim hats and just just quintessential classic Harlem urban looking suits with the wide uh, shoulders and just the beautiful fabrics yeah amazing suits and um, Kirby's tribute to the zoot suits was really really beautiful uh, but what I loved about these these suits were the details. So you know how we talked a little earlier about camp being these big, beautiful, like over-the-top details, right? What I loved about these look is, looks is that they were understated. They were, you had to look at the details to realize how grand they were. So when you first looked at it, you thought you were just looking at two pinstripe suits with interesting buttons, right? Um, but upon further inspection, you, you see that both of the suits are, they're, they're, they're similar, but they're both different. And not just that, you know, Kirby wore white and a white suit with red writing on the back and that Lena Waithe wore a blue suit with black writing on the back. What you'll notice is that every single detail was thought out and intentional, um, the very stripes of Lena's suit were actually lyrics from songs such as Diana's, Diana Ross's I'm Coming Out. Um, and that her buttons that were actually created by Johnny Nelson Jewelry featured LGBTQ icons like RuPaul and uh, Paris Dupree and Willie Ninja. Beautiful, just beautiful buttons um, that were created by this jewelry designer of LGBTQ heroes, right? <clears throat> so Kirby's suit uh, was actually actually had lyrics on on it from Nipsey Hussle, from Tupac, from Jay Z, from Nas, from Drake, from Meek Mill, J Cole, and Kendrick Lamar, and their faces were actually his buttons. So if you've read the back of his suit, it says, fix your credit, pull your money, and buy back the block, which is actually a lyric of Nipsey Hussle's. So he was shouting out Nipsey Hussle. Um, I, while I love those big looks that I was talking about earlier, these two suits were my favorite because they, they really shouted out the culture. Like the cufflinks on the, on the sleeves of the, of the suits were actually little fists, like little black power fists. Um, down the buttons were their, their icons. The pinstripes were actually lyrics on the back of Lena Waithe's suit. It actually says, um, black drag. Oh yeah. Black drag queens invented camp. And I love this. She had that misspelling in invented where it's, it's spelled invented. So she explains that um, on Twitter when she says, you guys have period with a T. She says, I'm going to give you all a new word. And I loved that. I loved that because, you know, we're we're constantly changing words and making culture and changing things up. And I loved all of the detailing in these in these suits. That was campy. That was over the top. Every single pinstripe was a different lyric. Every single button was a 
was first of all it was created by a jewelry designer and each one was a different icon whether it be a rapper or a musician or or an icon of of the community and I loved that and those were my favorite looks and that is really actually all I have to say about Met Gala um I loved it I had a good time watching from my couch and my computer I hope you did too well let's get to the end of the show Hey, booze. So, after thinking about it for some time, I've decided to retire the unpopular opinion. Mostly because I'm discovering that my opinions aren't that unpopular and that there's a bunch of really incredible people who also think quite similarly to me. And there's a lot of us. Um, And so it's not unpopular necessarily. And so I've decided to rename this particular segment Uh, The wrap-up rant. The last few minutes of the show will be dedicated towards me ranting about something either from the church announcements, from popular culture, or just from my everyday life. And this week, just for you guys, I have two. I have two wrap-up rants. Um, So the first wrap-up rant, I was sitting on the train the other day just minding my own business. I had maybe just gotten on a maybe a smooth uh, stop before a particular person got on in front of me. She gets on, she sits in the seat in front of me. Mind you, it is 10 a.m. in the morning and we're all heading to Philadelphia. We're all heading to Center City, right? And so I'm finishing my phone call with my dad. I'm talking in hushed tones because I don't believe in yapping your head off, you know, Um when you're, you know, you got somewhere to go, you know, like on a train, like that could be rude. Um, I'm considerate. I'm wrapping up my conversation. You could hear it by the signifiers that I keep saying, you know, like, um, <clears throat> all right, dad, I love you. I'll talk to you later. So we're getting ready to wrap up, right? This particular person who is sitting in front of me, a white woman, she turns around and she like sneers at me. And so I looked up, I'm like, oh, maybe, you know, she didn't mean that or whatever. So I go back to my phone call. And so she says, excuse me, in that tone, like, excuse me, this is the quiet ride car. And I was like, um, actually, this is not the quiet ride car. And she said, yeah, it is the quiet ride car. There's the sign right there. It says the quiet ride car. I was like, that sign is in every single train, every single car just in case they ever use this. But I already felt like I was like over explaining, like to try to explain like, no lady, like this is not the quiet ride car. This is, this is not the quiet, this is the quiet ride car. And she just kept saying like, this is the quiet ride car. Like how, how, how can you be on your phone when this is the quiet ride car? I'm like, miss, this is not the quiet ride car. It's 10 AM quiet ride hours are over. Okay. At that same time, probably by divine providence, the conductor of the train was coming by to check our tickets. And so she proceeds to step in her whole white woman, um, similar to a Jennifer Schrute, also known as Barbecue Becky, and attempts to tell on me with this conductor. Um, yes, this very rude young woman in, in the, this young woman right here, she's, she's talking really loud on the phone. And this is the quiet ride car, right? The conductor looks at her and says, no, this is actually not the quiet ride car. But you have the sign right there. Yes, that sign is in every single one of our trains. 
yes, well, and then he proceeds to explain five different ways why this is not the quiet ride car. He explains that, you know, the quiet ride hours are from 6 to 9 p.m. He explains that the quiet ride car really only exists in trains with three cars. And this particular train had two cars. And it was also at that point after 10 a.m. So quiet ride hours would have been over anyway. Um, he proceeds to tell her that he didn't make up the policy. He proceeds to tell her that he's the lead conductor on said train. He explains way more than he needed to. I'm trying to wrap up my phone call. I finish with my dad and yeah, I wasn't going to just speed up and finish. It was actually really funny because my dad, he hears what's going on and he goes like, it sounds like she needs some help. And I said, dad, she doesn't want the kind of help I'm going to offer her. And he goes, my girl, <laughs> my people know me. They know me a little too well. And she was about to get it because here's the, here's the really interesting thing. The really interesting thing, everyone was talking on this train. Everyone was either talking or listening to their music with their headphones, minding their own GD business 10 a.m. on this work day heading to Center City. Everyone was minding their business. This woman decided to step into my business. She decided to try to demand to tell me what to do with my phone. She started calling me names. And I'm looking in front of her and the people directly in front of her are talking. You know what the difference between the people directly in front of her and me were? The differences? There's one. One of them is I was black. And she didn't want to turn around and face the direction that she actually was facing when she sat down and tapped the people and talked to them about the quiet ride car. No, she decided to turn around and talk to me in condescending like tones about why this was the quiet ride car. Got really loud, drew a lot of attention to us, got a lot of people paying attention to us, and then found out in a really humiliating and embarrassing way that she was wrong. And so after all was said and done and she turns around with a big huff um, <clears throat> in her pout, I, the conductor walks by me smiling and I look at him. I said, so just to be clear, this is not the quiet ride car, loud enough for the whole car to, to hear. He laughed at me so hard. And then when it came time for us, as we arrived to Center City, he leaned over to me like, yo, don't 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 go off on her and I was just like yo but I appreciate you bruh for being so patient and I guess she heard that because you know I wasn't at that point necessarily being the quietest because it wasn't the quiet ride car and so <laughs> she got up in a big huff and like stormed off the train and yeah to that ridiculous white woman hi your privilege doesn't protect you from being loud and wrong Sorry, boo. Get on the train from 6 a.m. to 9 a.m. if you want those quiet rides. Or you can take an Uber or drive your ass or walk or bike, hop, skip, or jump. Do something else and stop trying to demand stuff out of people of color just to try to get your way. Okay? Okay. That was my first rant. My last rant for you. There is a movie a film coming out that I kind of don't even want to talk about, but I feel like I need to let you guys know so you can boycott protests, yell, scream, throw things like I am going to do. Well, I'm not going to throw things, but proverbially, hypothetically, in my brain, throw things <laughs> uh, called Loquisha. 
This is from the writer and direct writer and director Jeremy Seville. And the basic gist of the film is a white guy pretends to be a black woman on a radio show um, and pretends to be a black radio show host to gain notoriety. <sighs> so Shadow and Act did a lovely read of this uh, particular film. And the writer says, trolling black women for notoriety is nothing new, and Seville just seems to be the latest culprit. In 2019, using a caricature of a black woman as a tool for personal profit while learning something about himself along the way is nothing more than a typical, the typical dehumanization of black women for laughs and a white protagonist's personal growth, and we are not here for it. Not to mention, this is, the, this is an obvious white supremacist argument against affirmative action, suggesting that, more, su suggesting that more qualified white men should be allowed in spaces where black people are accepted. Whew. I couldn't say it better myself. Um, it's coming out July 12th. I couldn't tell you who any of these actors are in it. But if you want a good laugh, go to IMDb's uh, trivia page. You know, if you ever want to know anything about any movies, any actors, any things like that, IM, IMDb, this is not a sponsored post. This is just, yo, because uh, I go there just to read, just to see what people are up to. Um, but IMDb's trivia page um, on this particular movie, Low Quisha, is really really hysterical because it's, it's not really true trivia. It's just people just being jerks. So some of the comments that were left in the trivia was, um, the director saw green book and was inspired to make a bigger disaster of a movie about race. Another one was oddly this, this movie did not come out in the 1960s. And the last one is scientific proof that just because you can make a movie doesn't mean that you should make a movie. Um, yeah, the writer of the shadow and act piece said it best trolling black women just be, just because you can for laughs, making fun, making a caricature out of a real human being that has layers and facets and problems and, and trials and tribulations, just like you do. The only difference is her gender and her ethnicity. Um, but making making her down into a one-dimensional flat character just so your film can get some some yucks and 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 open mouth guffaws from the MAGA crowd because that's really the only people who are going to even be brave enough to even want to go see this garbage um, is really ridiculous in the year of our Lord 2019, and I'm over it. Uh, Jeremy Seville, you can just kiss where the sun does not shine from this particular black woman. And yeah, I look forward to protesting your film. Um, but that's it. That's the end of the show. Thank you guys so much for joining me on my Met Gala, uh, the Wiz, uh, wrap up rant, church announcements, all this foolishness, no announcements, um, for you guys, um, uh, outside of a, a thank you, thank you guys so much for listening, subscribing, sharing, and as always, peace, y'all.